New Geographies is an art commissioning project coordinated and produced by nine organisations from the East Contemporary Visual Art Network. In 2017, members of the public were invited to nominate overlooked and forgotten places across the six counties of the East of England. Then followed an open call for artists to propose a new public artwork inspired by any of the nominated locations. A diverse and exciting group of 10 artists were selected and commissioned. Over the past three years, we've been working together to realise their ambitious projects, engaging with local artists, residents, schools and communities across the region and further afield. I'm Ian Giles and I'm an artist. So for New Geographies, I have instigated a project called Open Ramble East, which um, kind of spreads out and becomes many things and has become many things over the last 18 months that I've been working on it. So Open Ramble East is a series of walks that happened in Norwich, Great Yarmouth, Colchester and Cambridge. And so in each of those places, I reached out to local people who were living here and invited them to share their LGBT history, knowledge and kind of contemporary lives in relation to those towns and cities and the surrounding areas. So asking people to share gay, lesbian, transsexual, um, intersex, queer histories about these places because um, I have found that uh, for whatever reason, that queer histories sometimes get pushed to the margins or that kind of conversation maybe gets dropped out. And there's such a variety of histories amongst us. Um, and I was very keen to kind of highlight uh, queer histories and queer present organisations and queer people um, in these towns and cities. Um, and walking seemed like a really lovely way to get a group of people to gather together and to visit some of these sites. And then, so the points of sort of reference on the route were for um, uh, men's toilets throughout the city. So there's one there, the gentleman's pissoir, the I think it's the oldest concrete built toilet so it's down at the bottom of Grapes Hill. Then two others that I'm sure I could walk you to, but I can't remember where they are in my head. Uh, yeah, so it followed that route, but then also we ended up walking past um, some gay pubs and clubs and other venues that had histories to them. Uh, I'm James, I'm treasurer at Outpost and one of the trustees. Well, I first heard of the New Geographies project with the call out for updating the map and sort of saw it there. Then I became part of the committee at Outpost and someone else had organised it, but we were involved in being asked to host this here, uh, Ian Giles's sort of was it uh, like the documentation of his walk in Norwich, which I also went on. Yeah, it was interesting hearing about sort of the queer history of Norwich, because I've moved here from uni and it, from little town, so it always felt like a big city, even though it's tiny and rural. But hearing about sort of having a gay history, which I didn't really think that Norwich did. But yeah, so Ian took us around all these places, but it was more the conversation with uh, some of the guys that are here today as well, sort of hearing these histories from people that I never really thought would exist still, or that I'd get to hear anyway. We did the walks in April and May. We were very lucky with the weather. And after every walk, 
as a group, we all either went to a pub and had a drink and a meal together, or for example, at Kettle's Yard in Cambridge, we had soup and lunch um, at Kettle's Yard Gallery. So there was a walk and then this kind of social time afterwards. I also worked with and invited local artists and artists connected with the project to do these kind of like micro commissions within the walk, which were about giving people something to kind of do and animate them as in giving members of the public that came um, on the walks, almost like an icebreaker. Um, and examples of those projects included uh, in Cambridge, Rachel Pym made these seed packets, which had a mix of wild flower seeds and wild grasses. And we were invited to sow the seeds wherever we wanted, a kind of guerrilla gardening on en masse across the city of Cambridge. And Rachel wanted to do these in memory of Alan Turing, the mathematician, the scientist, the code breaker, but also famously he was prosecuted for um, his homosexuality. Um, so this was a kind of a, a alternative monument to him. So that was a really lovely um, example of one of the projects in terms of it was very instant. People knew what to do. People knew how to set, sow the seeds. Everyone had their own little um, envelope of seeds. And it just was a conversation spark and maybe a few nervous shuffling people at the start. It was just a way for us to go up, say hello, we've, you know, we've, we're, thank you for being here and here's this packet of seeds. And then Rachel explained. Um, and then in Norwich, we all changed our names. So George, Georgie Manley made these amazing badges that had the names of um, former nightclubs in Norwich, such as Studio 4, or famous uh, LGBT people from Nor Norwich, I think we had, or Norfolk, I think we had a Stephen Fry badge. And so when you arrived, you swapped your name for the new place that you were. And the game throughout the walk was to find out who you were. So sometimes we maybe went somewhere, so we went to the Jolly Butchers, and someone's, and it was like, who's the Jolly Butchers? So you'd have a Jolly Butchers badge. And that, again, was a way of sharing information and getting people talking as well. And I think the important thing that I really wanted to do is I didn't want to stage guided tours. I really wanted them to be rambles in true sense. Like, so ramble as in walk, but also ramble as in a rambling conversation. And so when we did stop at the elected sites, rather than me standing at the front, um, trying to be this informed historian, it was much more of a case of saying, where are we? What do we know about this? And I kind of would know a few people in the crowd who maybe had told me nuggets of information about the sites. And so it was a case of sharing that information. And in a really lovely way, sometimes if we were in a busy place, someone would come past the group and stop and join in really briefly and throw in an extra bit of information because they maybe lived super locally to the site we were in. So that, that the, the conversation and the information kind of permeating out and being shared has been really integral to this work, which is very collectively authored. Like I increasingly see myself as um, the person who had the ability or the um, facilities to funk to um, to support these conversations and to support these histories to be shared. And that throughout the project I did realise was increasingly important because like I said, I think that LGBT histories haven't been preserved um, and kind of both depressingly and excitingly an example of that being the Heritage Centre at Norwich in February 2019 started collecting in their archive ephemera related to the LGBT history of Norwich and Norfolk.
I'm just trying to think actually when um, I first met Ian, but um, we invited him to come into the archive to see what there was. Um, at the time there wasn't very much at all, but because we, we'd started at the library a queer history donation stations, um, our archive is built from one box now to 15 boxes, so we've got loads of amazing different things there now. So um, I'm Jo Foster Murdoch, I work at the Millennium Library as a library assistant and a community librarian. Um, I'm, I've also just finished my Masters in Queer History at Goldsmiths. Um, and um, as part of my research, I was researching the queer history of Norfolk, and that's what my dissertation was on. Um, but coincidentally, at the same time that um, my dissertation started, um, we were having an exhibition from the British Museum called Desire Love Identity, which is an LGBT histories kind of exhibition. So to have something like that at the library was really amazing. We had some 11,000-year-old queer artefacts that they'd had hidden up at the British Museum. And um, to complement that, we wanted to put in what we had from our own archive that was LGBT and um, we didn't have anything so hence why we thought right how are we going to do this in a creative way so that's how we started the queer history donation stations we've 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 been in this period of time where so much information hasn't been able to be kept um, and i feel as a gay person myself it's so important to have these markers and these people and these events that we can scatter throughout history and kind of say in a relatively silly and simplistic way, oh, like there I am, or there's that significant person who achieved something really amazingly for our country. And they happen to be a gay person rather than, I think so much of life is immediately seen through a heterosexual lens. And we presume that all history is heterosexual. And it's not like as a species, we're very diverse and um, a range of sexualities is, is part of the human nature. And I really value when I, yeah, maybe read an author or a painter or find someone and it happens within their biography that they were gay or that they were a lesbian or that they were queer. And most of the time that doesn't matter to the content of the work, but somehow it matters to the soul of me as a living gay person just to have these, uh, yeah, these markers, I guess. So definitely a interest in history has been one of my driving forces behind um, unearthing these histories. Um, and if it's okay, I have a couple of favorite histories, um, which I discovered. So one of my favorites from Cambridge is uh, inside Christ College Chapel. And in there stands what they call a marriage memorial, which dates from 1684. And it's a big carved uh, kind of what I would call a tomb. I don't think tomb's the right word. But on the top of it, there's uh, a bust of Sir John Finch and his life partner, um, Thomas Baines. And they were two men that lived in the 17th century. One of them was ambassador to the Ottoman Empire. They were respected physicians, academics, very integral to Cambridge's life. Um, and the, below their carved heads is a Latin poem or epitaph written by Thomas More and it talks about their their love and their life and just shows how um, they were fully seen and, and understood to be a couple in their lifetime and some of the Latin um, underneath the sculpted heads reads 
their hearts and souls were one. They shared their pursuits, their fortunes and their thoughts. And so, you know, there's no question, there's no shadow of the doubt that these two men, this kind of proto-gay couple, were, were present. And again, I find that just, it gives me warmth, I think, because here we have one of the major college chapels in Cambridge and right next to the altar, there's this huge celebration of, uh, of these men. Yeah, I found it really exciting when I found those things that were so old. And I guess one other um, great find or, or thing to mention is much more contemporary in Colchester. Uh, they have a charity, an organisation called Outhouse East. I'm Peter Kenwin-Jones and I'm a trustee on the board of trustees of an organisation called Outhouse East, uh, which is here in Colchester and is an LGBTQ+, I've got to get all those letters right these days, um, charity which works for the local community. Um, the history of the organisation is rather interesting from the point of view of a gay man particularly. Um, in terms of the history, the people will probably generally know that uh, it was in 1967 that the law was changed, um, allowing that the gay sex, I'd say, between men, because women at that time either were not thought to have sex or particularly hadn't been part of the legislation, was made legal. And a lot of people seem to think that from that date everything was fine. Well, of course it wasn't, because the actual circumstances in which people were allowed to be sexual were strictly limited. Fine if you were in a big town like Manchester or London or Bristol or Birmingham, when frankly, you know, if you just walked out on the streets, you could probably find a partner if you wanted it. But in the town where we are now, Colchester, it was a very different matter. And it was really thanks to uh, the University of Essex, where in the sociology department, a man called Ken Plummer and somebody from the Campaign for Homosexual Equality in Colchester, Ian MacArthur, decided that what would have to happen was there should be set up a gay switchboard in which a helpline could be got and people could ring up and get some help and support in their problems with their own gender and diversity. And it wasn't until a bit later when it became quite clear that the demand for something like a switchboard became so intense that it was simply not possible just to do it in people's own private houses. But from then on, um, the, the, it kind of liberating itself from the, the, the telephone in a private house, it became very much more active as an organisation. Um, and through a fundraising and through an extraordinary bequest, which was made by a man called Stephen Harrison, they found enough money to, to, to mortgage somewhere. And also at the time, of course, uh, there was a very important movement as well in, in that the Colchester Gay Switchboard became a registered charity. And that made a huge difference in terms of finances. And of course, the ability to go out and campaign. The social atmosphere was just about beginning to change. And with, with the uh, access to the charitable status, um, they then really stopped the, the switchboard aspect of it, changed the name to Outhouse East, uh, which is what it is now, the charity is called Outhouse East, and began what we have now is a very large outreach programme. So the second part of this project has been a touring exhibition, which has a curved structure which is essentially a diary of all of this research, all of this shared knowledge, and a visual diary of the walks that we went on. 
and that structure I've called Outhouse, both as a nod to Outhouse East as a way of me kind of trying to point towards it and to illuminate it. And also this idea that it, in a kind of cheesy way that the structure is kind of out and about. Um, and we also looked at kind of the history of things like cottaging. So uh, predominantly gay men meeting up um, to cruise each other in public places, in toilets, in parks. And so being kind of out and about and being in an outhouse has that kind of double, triple pun meaning, I guess. And so the structure has toured back to the different towns and cities, back to Cambridge, back to Colchester, back to Great Yarmouth, back to Norwich. Um, and that's been a really lovely opportunity to re-meet a lot of the people who came on the walks and to um, display some of the, the, the works that the, art, that the artists made during the walks. Um, and we've also had an ongoing series of events in every um, city that we've been visiting to. So um, here in Norwich, where we are now um, at Outpost, we opened with a recreation, in inverted commas, of uh, Bang's Disco, which was at Studio 4, which was behind Angular Television in Norwich. So Angular Television has or had certainly three studios. And so amusingly, the pub behind became known as Studio 4. And so uh, with help of Joe Foster Murdoch, who's based in Norwich and has done a large amount of research into the queer histories of Norwich, um, I started to read about Studio 4. And apparently on a Saturday night, if you paid 30p, you got entrance and there was what they described as a whacking great sandwich buffet, which I'm imagining just lots of white bread and cheese and it being proper like five-year-old birthday party food. But there was a disco and it was a disco for gay people. And so... To open the show here at Outpost, we um, had a super cool 1970s funky, soulful disco. We had a glitter ball, the uh, screen that's displaying all of the information um, and photographs of the walk. Because it's curved, it suddenly became this amazing curved dance floor and people kind of were taking kind of a lap around it. And at one point there was a dance off with a group of people standing around in a circle. And it was just, uh, joyful and it brought together like a whole cross-generation of people there actually were people dancing at the opening who'd gone to studio for back in 79 where it closed in 83 and then there were those of us who'd never been but we got to get a sense of it and yesterday uh, the amazing David Shenton who is a Norwich based cartoonist and with the help of Joe Foster Murdoch we played David's uh, board game, which is essentially like a kind of hybrid of Snakes and Ladders and Monopoly, I would say. But it re really cleverly and visually lays out maybe the life and the scene of cottaging in Norwich in, let's say, 70s, 80s, maybe in, into the 90s. Tis all the checkerboard of nights and days where destiny with men for pieces plays. Hither and thither moves and makes and slays, and one by one back in the closet. Oh, sweet! <laughs> Where's that from? Oh, my Kayana. Um, uh, my name's David Shenton. I'm a queer cartoonist, and I've worked as a cartoonist since 1974. Uh, I was called in because of Ian's. Um, exhibition here he just asked Joe Foster Murdoch could we do anything for, uh, for for the mature men's group 
And I said, well, I think Joe had done some research working with the men's group and they seemed to have a lot of interest in the sites of cottages and, and, and that kind of way of meeting men in, in the olden days before there was pubs, before, anyway. So I knew that I had this board game, so I said, on the spur of the moment, why don't we do that? So that's what we did. I just brought the, I, we just brought the, uh, the board game in, and it's it's been the first time it's been played. So and it seemed to work very well, and it's worth playing with gay men because they can be uh, funny, saucy, and whatever it is. <laughs> Uh, the game is like a, a snakes and ladders board where you go from one end of the board to the other and it's a counting game so you just move along the squares but every so often there's a, a, you, you are given a card, a playing card and if you are a heart then you're a gay man, if you're a diamond you are a casual cottager, if you're a club you're a queer basher and if you're a spade you're a policeman. So you go through the board game and you can cruise other people on the on the board and but you don't know what what card they're holding so you could be a gay man and you could cruise somebody who is actually a, a queer bite or a policeman so then you either go back go to prison go to hospital it's that kind of game and it's I know it sounds um, a bit vicious but it, it, it cottaging was that kind of danger and so I didn't want it to be too easy when I feel really excited about my work is when it seems to kind of just just happen out of these social engagements. So we've got music playing and a glitter ball and people know what to do. They know how to get involved and that, that kind of restriction or um, boundary to maybe accessing um, art just completely disappears because suddenly you're at Bang's Disco at Studio 4 and you're away. Um, and so that joyful and positive way of sharing these histories is is something that I have really relished. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to, as the structure carries on and goes to different towns and cities, how it seems to change and transform every space that we put it in. In uh, First Sight in Colchester, it was at the, in the kind of front of the gallery, so in this much more kind of public civic space, and, and it, the structure really did stand and look like um, an information board or a kind of a structure that you might have standing at the beginning of a nature reserve or a public park. It has this, the steel structure is um, painted this kind of deep dark green that you often see used by parks and nature reserves and local authorities. So there it, it, it resonated as this civic public object. And then bringing it here to Norwich, as I said, suddenly it became a dance floor or later today, Alison Graham is reading her poems and we're going to use it as essentially a stage. Um, and on the structure, um, as it travels, it has these hooks pointing out which have chairs hanging on them. And so those chairs will be taken off and used as seating for this poetry reading. These poems are also printed in our Open Ramble East book. The Open Ramble East book has the, the four walk maps um, printed with um, all of the uh, recommended sites uh, written, written out alongside the maps. And also this is, this is the place where Alison's poems are printed as well. And there are photographs taken from the walks as well. So there's like a photograph of the Finch and Baines uh, memorial that I spoke about there's a photograph of Rachel Pym's Alan Turing seed packets. 
there are lots of amazing photographs of people just kind of rambling out and about in Norwich and us going to Lollard's Pit, which is one of the um, active um, LGBT pubs in Norwich, and also photos from our beautiful walk in Great Yarmouth, where we actually kind of deliberately veered off um, path and we went down um, Angles Way, which is a waterside walk, which I, we decided to choose as a group, we decided to choose somewhere like Angles Way to kind of break out into kind of really the rural countryside to suggest this idea that lots of places aren't seen to have any kind of LGBT residents. And I really wanted to question <clears throat> why that was or what that meant. Why can't a group of LGBT people walking together go for this um, ramble in the countryside? And the kind of silly and delightful thing is that when we were walking, we came across these two Polish birdwatching lesbians who were out with these amazing kind of paparazzi style lenses. And they were obviously taking like spect spectacular photographs of all of the wildlife um, in, uh, in the water, because um, it's kind of the edge of the broads. And it was so uplifting and delightful when they said, who are you guys? What are you doing here? And, and I said, oh, we're a queer walking group. And just to have that interaction and to be able to be, you know, be in inverted commas from Great Yarmouth and these, these two people who had come from a different country. So essentially I felt like we were like an unofficial welcoming committee to them, which was really lovely. The, the, other, the other kind of thread within this work was my side research into the Gay Outdoors Club. So the Gay Outdoors Club was founded in the 70s, 73, 74, um, founded in London, but soon sp sparked its way across England. And now still to this day, every county in the UK has their own Gay Outdoors Club group. And so they are groups of ramblers who meet on a monthly basis and, and do a ramble. Um, there's a newsletter that's still printed amazingly. Um, and so I was lucky enough to go to their archive, which is in Worcester, and look through the entire archive of the Gay Outdoors Club. One thing that I was interested in is in the 1970s, we kind of have a across all groups, all minorities, women, people of color, gay people, we see, we, saw, we see this rise in political activity and political energy. And so things like the GLF, the Gay Liberation Front, which was founded um, by a group at um, LSE, um, starts to emerge. And this idea of, of or their slogan, um, gay is good, this idea that that the gay people, this is the 70s obviously, need to feel and be positive about who they are and kind of this idea that they need to accept themselves in order for other people to accept them. And luckily, I think because of work by groups like that, we've moved way beyond that. Like I'm no longer asking people for their acceptance because I, I don't feel it necessary. Um, but because of this time and things like the Gay Liberation Front being founded in the 70s, I was interested in whether the Gay Outdoors Club was in some way a political movement. And I think it is, but they say no. And really refreshingly, they said, we're just a group of people who wanted to go on a walk. 
together, like-minded people, a kind of what we would call now a safe space or a safe group. And actually, I think that um, the joy and the innocence of that is really important. And this idea that everyone needs to constantly be kind of fighting for their rights is exhausting. And to have those self-care moments of just going on a ramble with a group of friends seems to be the desire behind uh, the Gay Outdoors Club. So I was lucky enough um, in each of these cities, in each of these counties I've been working um, in for Open Ramble East to benefit from the knowledge of members of the Gay Outdoors Club. And they have helped us plot our walks, both in terms of um, sharing locations that were important to them, but also very practical things like, you know, if you're going on a two hour walk, when's the toilet break? Is there gonna be a cup of tea halfway through? All these things that as experienced ramblers, um, that they know. And most of them, interestingly, it's an organization founded in the 70s. Certainly the members I've met, they haven't been that great on membership drives. So now these tend to be men in their 70s themselves. Um, so there's a wealth of knowledge there, both rambling knowledge and LGBT histories and lives. And I think one thing that I have been struck by as, as a person in my 30s, just how different my life is as a, um, as a person, as a human being, as a, as, a, as a gay man living now in comparison to say some of their lives or, or their life at 30. And it hasn't been easy. And I think also particularly outside of um, major centers. So, you know, London, uh, London, Manchester, wherever you want to talk about this idea that to stay where you're from, to stay in more rural areas or um, I feel this sense of the East almost self-identifying as being this space that no one passes through. You have, you have to come to it intentionally. That there is an, an alternative rhythm here. Um, and I think that at times because of that, maybe acceptance and understanding has happened at a slower pace here, which I find um, frustrating because that hasn't been my narrative. Um, of being lucky enough to live in London for 10 years or, or time spent in New York, I see such a multiplicity of people every single day that really I both celebrate and don't notice uh, difference. Um, but yeah, having conversations with men and women who have, say, for example, lived their entire lives in Norfolk or Cambridgeshire, there's sometimes this sense of a kind of nervousness or a quietness around their sexuality. And even jokingly yesterday, one of the members of the Gay Outdoors Club came in and he was joking, but he said, oh, there's a photo of me. Oh no, everyone will know I'm gay now. And I said, how great. But it was interesting that I think that there was still that sense of something needing to be protected, something needing to be covered. I just think as a kind of human being, as, a, as someone who believes in everyone being able just to have a really nice time, that you, people shouldn't have to feel stressed about who they are or shouldn't have to feel restricted or that they need to keep certain parts of themselves closed off. So I do hope that this project has in some way, it's kind of the wrong word for it, but it has in some way been a celebration of LGBT East. And even, I think, the museums and galleries that we've been working with, some of them, you know, very established institutions like Kettle's Yard in Cambridge, I think even for them, 
doing a dedicated set project with a gay artist with an LGBT group of people still is kind of pushing a button a little bit. And so in a small way, I do hope that potentially if there's another person like me who is kind of searching for information related to queer lives, related to queer histories, just doing research or even just looking for things that will interest them, that even if my, if our exhibition isn't on, that when they search on the website, they'll see that there is a history of programming um, connected to LGBT people at these galleries and cities. I think one of the really clever things about the kind of overarching uh, commissions of new geographies is that they're doing exactly what should be done in terms of the nine or ten artists are all looking at different groups of people, different individuals, different pockets of communities, and creating this really kind of pluralistic and multiple um, perspectives on what the East are. So when I looked at the New Geographies website, the New Geographies map that had those kind of 300 pinpoints all over, my initial reaction was to click on each of the points. And actually I was searching for LGBT histories. I was searching for references and I didn't find any. Um, I found one path or walk that the person's description talked about um, doing the walk with their lover. And they kept using the word lover over and over again, which I thought was an unusual choice. And I was wondering if that in some ways was being used to kind of hide gender. Um, but my main reaction was looking at the map of the East on the computer, I kind of felt like I was hovering out of out in space. And I just thought to myself, wow, there must be so many gay lives being lived out across the region. And I just wanted to try and naively get to know everyone and find different examples of, was there, is there a Coast Guard who lives with her wife, you know, in the, in the, in the top of Norfolk or who, who's running a, an art gallery in, in Norwich that might be gay or all these things just to try and uh, start these conversations. So really to kind of find new new geographies or old queer geographies to add into the the map. Hello, my name is James McDermott and I'm a writer from Norfolk and I wrote several of the performance poems for the Colchester Walk that were performed at Colchester Arts Centre and Outhouse East. Um, the poems were researched by going along to Outhouse East one Saturday and talking with lots of the people there about Colchester's queer history. And then I used that material to um, help generate some of the poems. I got involved with the project after seeing a call out on Norwich Pride's website. So I contacted Ian, shared some of my work with him and we had a coffee. I had very, very similar ethoses about representing underrepresented queer lives um, in the East, because that's really... A, seldom seen um, on stage and screen and any kind of queer art projects are seldom seen in um, Norfolk where I live and certainly in the whole of East Anglia and yet the place has such a big queer cultural history so I wanted to get involved in the project to assert and celebrate that and to help people re-see places through that queer lens. So this is a poem about lots of the queer venues in Colchester that are no longer there and the poem was printed on the back of beer mats that were then distributed around the town. It's called You Glorious Gay Pubs of Colchester. You glorious gay pubs of Colchester, oh, where have you gone, what happened to you? Wrecked is the wreck, first gay pub in town that once stood proud at recreation ground. Gay pub Pink Panther, then gay bar Blue Boar, is now Newtown Tavern and gay no more. 
We sang and supped at Gay Pub the Cups, that's now a fat face, a chain clothed shop. Molly Malone's at Boltoth's roundabout made no cash shut shop, the gays moved out. You can't find a fox to fiddle with now, the fox and fiddle is closed as well. You glorious gay pubs of Colchester, we remember you. Oh, how we miss you. I hope that when we get to a point now in the future that we don't need to, we can celebrate and know and understand how many LGBT people there were, are and will be. But we're going through a phase, I think, where we need to slightly um, point that out a little bit harder, more extreme and say, blah, 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 um, lived here with his partner and, you know, or lived here as a gay couple or whatever, to the point that maybe in 10, 20, 50 years, we will have built up this collective understanding that there are different genders of people, that there are different sexualities. Um, I was joking yesterday that um, when my work gets reviewed now, it always says gay artist Ian Giles, um, but friends of mine are never labelled as straight artists, blah, blah, blah. Um, which again is another example of like that everything is seen to be heterosexual and, and less kind of proven otherwise. And yeah, as I said, I'm I'm actually fine with that because I think if I can in some way be a small beacon to another person, another maker, um, and and show that here's another gay person um, making stuff and being active, then that's great. But uh, I think it will be exciting once we've made enough of a kind of mixed fruit muesli of life that will understand that we that this kind of potentially heavy-handed labeling will get to be kind of mystified a little bit more you can see all 270 nominated locations alongside details of each of the 10 artists projects at www newgeographies.uk New Geographies has been produced by Art Exchange, East Gallery NUA, First Sight, Focal Point Gallery, Kettles Yard, Norwich Castle Museum and Art Gallery, Original Projects, UH Arts and Wising Arts Centre. New Geographies is supported by Arts Council England.